the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Two things that God always sees. He sees our afflictions. The word there means a state of hardship or trouble. He always sees that. And number two, he sees our hard work. Praise to the God who reigns above. That's not the way God designed family to be, where we got to put a rock between us and go, you cross over there, I'm going to kill you. That's not how God designed our families to be. But sadly, isn't it like that sometimes? You know, many of you may have experienced it personally, maybe in a broken marriage or broken parents or broken family, siblings that won't speak to you. Maybe you're not speaking to them. Maybe you've had someone close to you go through something like that. But know this, that was never God's intent. It's always a result of mankind's sin. Hello, and welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. I'm your host, Nate Elliott, as we join Senior Pastor Will Ramirez in the book of Genesis. Last time in Genesis 30, we saw Jacob was trying to run away with his family. He had become very successful by God's mercy. Uncle Laban decided to chase him, though. We will see why and their whole interaction come to a head as we join Pastor Will in Genesis 31, verse 22. Verse 22. Now it was told Laban on the third day that Jacob was fled. So this gives Jacob six-day head start because he's already three days removed from him. And now three days go by that he's traveled even further away. He's got almost a week head start on Laban. And so it mentions here that he took his brethren, that's Laban, with him and pursued after him uh, for seven days journey and they overtook him in the Mount Gilead. So Jacob almost made it. Uh, Jacob would move much slower with children and animals. So his pace was about 25 miles a day. That's a a normal traveling if if you're in like a caravan type environment in that culture. Um, Laban, however, was pursuing with the intent to do harm. He didn't bring his flocks with him. He's, He's just got him and his brothers and he is there to do harm. And so he moves much quicker and catches up in seven days. But God protects Jacob, verse 24. And God came to Laban the Syrian in a dream by night, and he said unto him, You take heed that you speak not to Jacob either good or bad. Literally, it means that you speak not to Jacob from good to bad. In other words, Laban, I know exactly what's in your heart. You don't come waltzing in there talking all nice and familial and and lamenting how bad Jacob was to you by leaving like that when your true intent is just to kill him. That was his intent. He was going to kill him, get all the stuff, get his daughters, get everything back. And God says, you don't come in here and you don't pretend like everything's fine and then you kill him and go take back the stuff. God shouldn't have to remind us that he's watching and that he knows all the plans of our heart. But he does because we often deceive ourselves into thinking that no one knows but me. How many times we do that? I remember there was a time early on, we in Beverly, we had married for maybe four or five years. And I was... And it was in the 90s. And so that was the time when it was real big to like build your own computer. You're going to build your own system because, you know, we, we're not going with the, you know, the, the, the big companies, whatever, who charge us for all this stuff. We're going to build our own thing and put our own stuff in there and do that. And so I was, you know, building my own computers. And I really wanted a nice new 3D video. But it wasn't in the budget. 
Now, my lovely wife is an incredibly intelligent woman. But at that time, she didn't know anything about what went inside a computer. And so I remember I came home one day, you know, and I came home and I've got a bag. Oh, what's that? Oh, just something, you know, a little, and it's small, of course, you know, a little tiny thing for the computer because I didn't want to know I just spent 200 bucks. <laughs> Isn't it sad how we do that? I got so convicted that night. I went up to her and I said, I spent 200 bucks on a video card. I'll take it back if you want me to. But we deceive ourselves into thinking that nobody knows. Secret sin is never hidden from him. Never, never. It's always better to bring it into the light. Verse 25, after the dream, then Laban overtook Jacob the next morning. Now Jacob had pitched his tent in the mount, and Laban with his brothers pitched in the mount of Gilead. So they were on different sides of the, the mountain range, but nonetheless right next to each other. And so Laban comes into the camp, and he said unto Jacob, What have you done that you have stolen away unawares to me and carried away my daughters as captives taken with the sword? The word there, phrase captives taken with the sword means prisoners of war. Literally, it means to be taken by force against your will. Laban immediately does exactly what God told him not to do. He casts himself in the role of rescuer and liberator when he's just simply a greedy man. How dare you steal my daughters away? They're not your daughters anymore, man. They said made vows. You don't remember what the Bible says? A man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife? But he doesn't see it that way. They're all his stuff. And they'll always be his stuff because he's simply a greedy man. Verse 27, why did you flee away secretly and steal away from me? And you did not tell me so that I might have sent you away with mirth and with songs and with tabret and with the harp. And you have not suffered me to kiss my sons and my daughters. You have now done foolishly in so doing. He's still trying to figure out how he can get his stuff and how he can kill Jacob. He is casting Jacob in the worst light. You stole my family. You stole my stuff. All I wanted to do was kiss him goodbye. Verse 29. It is in the power of my hand to do you hurt. And that was his real intent. To do harm to Jacob and rescue his daughters. Oh, and get all his property too. But the God of your father spoke unto me yesternight, saying, take, heed, take thou heed that you speak not to Jacob either good or bad. And he's sitting there and he's like, we're in an impasse, man, because I want to kill you. And you know what? Everybody knows here that I deserve to kill you. But your God told me I can't. And they are in an impasse at this point. Well, verse 30. He says, I can't kill you, but I do have a problem. Verse 30. And now, though you would needs be gone, though you have to go, I guess, because you soar longs after your father's house, yet, why have you stolen my gods? Now he's got a real issue, because if Jacob stole something, Maybe he won't do any harm to Jacob, but all his brothers and all the people around there would go, you're a thief, and there's a penalty for theft. A serious one. We have a case against you. So Jacob now is in a very, very bad spot. And so Jacob answered and said to Laban, he said, because I was afraid. You know, it's actually a real simple answer. I left secretly because I didn't think for a minute you'd let me go. I left because I didn't think you'd let my family come with me. My family. I didn't think you'd let me take any of my possessions with me. Peradventure, you would take by force your daughters from me. And so in verse 32, he says, with whomsoever you find your gods, let them not live. If, if someone stole, I didn't take them. And if you find them here, you kill them because they stole them, not me. And before our brethren, in front of everybody, you discern what is yours with me and you take it back with you. 
And Jacob was so stern about this because he didn't know that Rachel had stolen the idols. Now, the truth is that Laban probably was planning to do exactly what Jacob was worried about. But God, just like he warned him off here, he would have warned him off there, you know? But here's the problem with fear. Fear involves torment, according to 1 John 4.18. And when you're tormented by something, you make bad decisions. You ever been like that? You can't sleep at night? You're just sitting there and you're rolling every possible scenario over in your head. If I do this, this might happen. If I do this, and you're just, you're doing that. Trying to find, you know, the winning match, the winning lotto number, you know, of, of your options of what might actually work. And you're coming up empty. That's when that kind of fear sets in, it has torment and it causes us to make bad decisions. But Jacob's not in a place where he's, he's, he's trusting God. Being secure in God's love causes us to trust him in the face of adverse situations where it looks like there is no winning option. But Jacob's not at that place right now. And so he just fires back at him. He goes, you find the guy who took it, kill him. And if you find anything else here, I didn't take it on purpose, so you can have it back. And so Laban is looking for a way to bust Jacob. And so Laban went into Jacob's. He goes right in there first. (laughs) You gotta love that guy. And then he goes into Leah's tent. And into the two maidservants' tents. But he found them not. And so they went out of Leah's tent and he entered into Rachel's tent. Now Rachel had taken the images and she had put them in the camel's furniture. That's a saddle basket. Um, it's not that we didn't, in our culture, we tend to use the saddle bags on the side. But they rode camels and so they would, wear, they would sit on a box on the camel. And the box on the camel also you would store stuff inside of it. So uh, inside, you know, she had put the idols inside this box that served also as a, a saddle for riding the camel. And it says she was sitting upon them there in the tent. And Laban searched all the tent but found them not. And so I imagine he's probably thinking, get up, Rachel. But she says to him, you know, Father, you know, let it not displease you that I cannot rise up before you for the custom of women is upon me. It's her time of the month. And he searched but he did not find the images. Now, it's interesting here because you think, well, Laban, man, he seems like a pretty, pretty shrewd guy. Why wouldn't he make her get up? Well, in his pagan mind, it was inconceivable that a woman would ever sit on his God. That just didn't make any sense in her time of uncleanness, no less. You know, she's thinking, he's thinking, hey, it can't be under there. And she would fear the gods too much to ever do that. Sort of learn from his own self. She's cut right from his mold. She doesn't fear God at all. Or any, anything. And in this, Rachel shows she learned deception from the best. And so when the idols are not found, Jacob is livid. Verse 36. And Jacob was wroth. The word there means to lose one's temper. He is upset. And he chode with Laban. There is a sense in that phrase chode that Jacob's getting more and more upset as each tent search comes up empty. I imagine he's making comments like, why are you really here, man? You looked at all these tents so far and you ain't found nothing. Why are you still looking? You know you're not going to find it. You accuse me of theft. You say you want to send us with joy. But all I see here is false accusations. Why are you really here? What is my trespass, he says? What is my sin that you have so hotly pursued me? Why are you here? And when he finds nothing, it all bubbles over and Jacob lets him have it in front of everybody for 20 years of injustice. And in doing so, we get the full picture of just what a crook Laban had been. 
He says, whereas you have searched all my stuff, verse 37, what have you found of all your household stuff? Set it here before my brethren and your brethren that they may judge between us both. This 20 years have I been with you. Your ewes and your she-goats, they have not cast their young. They didn't miscarry because he wasn't uh, properly caring for them. And the rams of your flock, I didn't eat anything. That which was torn of beasts, I didn't bring it to you. I bear the loss of it. Shepherds were responsible for any animals that died unless they could prove they were killed by wild animals before the animal could be driven off. And usually what you would do to show that is you would bring the carcass. You wouldn't let them take... The reason they kill it is to eat it. So they wouldn't let them take the carcass off. And you'd bring the carcass back to your owner and then he would realize, okay, that wild animals got it. It happens. That's not your fault. You drove them off, didn't take any more animals. The price is on me. Jacob says, you held me liable for every single one that was killed. He would come and he would go, animal didn't do that. It's missing its head, Laban. No, animal didn't do that. There's wolf fur all over it. I don't trust you. I, Jacob, I bet you put it on there. He held him responsible for every single one that had been killed. He says, of my hand did you require it, whether it was stolen by day or stolen by night. And thus I was. And the day the drought consumed me, the heat and the frost at night, my sleep departed from my eyes. And you've got to remember, Jacob wasn't like Esau. He was a house guy, you know. He was, like, he, was a, he, he was a guy who sat in his mom's basement playing the Nintendo, you know. You know? He wasn't out like Esau. And so he said, I was out here, man. I worked hard for you. That's not my bent. It's not my skill set. But I worked hard for you. And you swindled me. Thus I have been 20 years, verse 41, in your house. I served you 14 years for both your daughters and six years for your cattle. And you've changed my wages 10 times. That's how I lived, uh, Laban, under that. Told everybody that? Verse 42, except the God of my father, the God of Abraham and the fear of Isaac had been with me. Surely you had sent me away now empty, which would include his daughters, which are his wives, his kids, everything. God has seen my affliction and the labor of my hands, and he rebuked you yesterday. A couple of things here that I think are important. Two things that God always sees. He sees our afflictions. The word there means a state of hardship or trouble. He always sees that. And number two, he sees our hard work. I think it's in Psalm 56. Yeah, you tell all my wanderings. You put thou my tears into your bottle. Are they not in your book? God sees every hardship or trouble we go through. Every difficulty we face. He sees it all. But he also sees our hard work. These are two areas in life where it's very easy to grow frustrated when no one else recognizes it, isn't it? You're at the job and you're working hard and everybody else is slacking. And you know, the boss comes in, great job, Joe. And you're thinking, Joe, Joe got in here like an hour late today. It could be very easy when you're going through difficulty or your hard work is being overlooked to feel alone, unappreciated, or overlooked. But I'm here to tell you, God doesn't see you that way. He sees your troubles. And you know what? He doesn't get tired of hearing about it. He doesn't get weary. Is he, is he again? Again? You're still going to whine to me about that? No. The Lord says, tell me about it. I'm here to catch all your tears in my bottle. I want to hear about every concern, every trouble you're going through. And his ear is always open to that. And he sees all your hard work, and it will not go unrewarded by him. Don't ever forget that. Interestingly, he says here, except the God of my father, Isaac, the God of Abraham, same God. But then he mentions here, the fear of Isaac had been with me, you would have sent me away empty. The fear of Isaac, this is not the word fear that uh, is used to mean worship or reverence that we often see in the Old Testament. It's used of terror or dread. And oftentimes it's used of the terror or dread that God puts on people to keep them from doing evil. It is also used to describe the kind of fear coming upon backslidden Israel that they become afraid of what God might do and then they return back to the Lord. 
And so there's an, you know, that interesting section, you remember, back when Jacob steals Esau's blessing, and then Isaac, it mentions, he trembles in fear because he realizes what happened. And then afterward, we find him a changed man in his approach to Jacob. He, he orders him, God has blessed you, you're the one, rather than playing games because he liked Esau better. And that image of his father pronouncing the blessing on him, even after discovering his deception, it stuck with Jacob. And he believes that that same terror that moved his father to change his tune is the only thing that has kept Laban from taking everything at this point. And in doing so, right here in front of everybody, he calls out Laban's integrity big time. And so they're at an impasse because Laban's going, you got my God somewhere and I'm not leaving until I get him. And Jacob's going, you're a swindler and, and your integrity is the problem here, not mine. So Laban... Verse 43, he is so proud, man. You could almost sense he's shaking. Laban answered and said unto him, these daughters are my daughters and these children are my children and these cattle are my cattle and all that you see is mine. What can I do this day unto these my daughters or unto their children which they have born? Laban is a proud or stubborn man. Man, they haven't been yours for a while. <laughs> they, could, they ceased to be yours the minute you offloaded them. You can't claim responsibility for things you didn't want when they were a burden to you. And you know, I always struggle with the husband who rides high and mighty in authority over his wife and kids, but refuses to love and cherish them as gifts from God. You know, in 1 Corinthians 7, I know I had you kind of turn there, but we're going to run out of time, so turn there on your own time. But in verses 3 and 4 of chapter 7 there, it mentions that the husband doesn't belong, his body doesn't belong to himself, it belongs to the wife. Chew on that for a bit. You don't have permission to do with your body what you want to. She has to submit to me. Yeah, well, you got to submit to her too, apparently. Because it doesn't belong to you. You don't get to just do what you want. But turn to Psalm 127 with me. I love, I love this section in Psalm 127. I want to read verses 3 through 5. It says, Lo, children are a heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is his reward, his gift. But then it says this, As arrows are in the hand of a mighty man, so are children of the youth. Happy is the man that have his, his quiver full of them. They shall, not, they shall not be ashamed, but they shall speak with the enemies in the gate. You know, if you ever want to do a fascinating study, study how to make a good arrow. Go online, find out how to make a good arrow. It takes a lot of work. And you know, the focus of this psalm, I think oftentimes is the quantity of children, and that's not it. The focus of the psalm isn't about the quantity of children but about investing the time that takes to make them arrows. So that what you put into your quiver, you have arrows in your quiver. Listen, you don't put things other than arrows in your quiver. So if you just have a quantity of kids, that doesn't give you a full quiver. But when you develop them and turn them into arrows, then you've got a full quiver. That's what the focus of this passage is on. God calls us as fathers and as husbands to love our wives, to cherish them, to invest into our children, to mold and shape them into arrows for the Lord. So that when we pull them back and we shoot them out into the world, that they're exactly what God wants them to be. That's our task. Laban here, he's desperately trying to save faith. What can I do? <laughs> You've taken everything from me, I have. Of course I would have sent you away with nothing. I have nothing left. He is trying to save faith. Face. So since they can't come to an agreement on how they got here, he proposes they make a deal regarding the future instead. Verse 44. Now therefore you come. Let's make a covenant. Make a deal. I and you, and let it be for a witness between me and you. This is not reconciliation. <laughs> this is a deal based upon their continued suspicions. Jacob says, if you get a shot, I know you're going to try to kill me or find something to find me guilty of. And they've been saying, you took everything from me. And they can't agree. He says, well, we need to find something we can agree on, which is we need to come to a deal based upon these mutual suspicions. 
He says, I don't trust you to take care of my daughters and how you're going to treat them, and you don't trust me, so let's make a deal. And so Jacob says, all right. And so they took a stone, and they set it up for a pillar. Jacob said unto the brethren there, he said, you gather stones. And so they took stones, they made this massive heap, massive pile of stones, and they did eat there upon the heap. Now, it's interesting, to eat together meant you were serious because uh, the same food was nourishing each participant. There would be no no, uh, slide of hand going on here. But it was also very pictorial because you got the heap there, and then, of course, Jacob would eat on one side, and Laban would eat on the other. You say, why is that a big deal? Let's keep reading. Well, Laban called the heap Jager Seha Dutha, but Jacob called it Galid. They both, both words mean the same thing. They mean boundary marker. Uh, Galid is Hebrew, which is the language that the Jews would understand. They would go, Jager, I don't remember. There's no place called Jager, whatever, Dutha, whatever. They would, and he said, no, 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 Jacob called it Galid. They go, oh, Gilead, I know what that is. Okay, boundary marker. So that's how my, uh, Moses writing this made that clear that he called it that because that's how they would understand it. Why boundary marker? Verse 48. And Laban said, This rock pile, this heap, is a witness between me and you this day. And therefore the name of it was called Galid, and also called Mizpah, which means watch place. For, he said, the Lord watch between me and you when we are absent from one another. If you shall afflict my daughters, or if you shall take other wives besides my daughters, like Laban didn't start that in the first place, or, you know, you take more wives. I didn't, I only wanted one. <laughs> you started that whole mess of giving me more than one. No man is with us, so God is witness between me and you. And Laban said to Jacob, Behold this heap, and behold this pillar which I have cast between me and you. This heap be witness, and this pillar be witness, that I will not pass over this heap to you, and that you shall not pass over this heap and this pillar unto me for harm. And here's what it is. As long as they each stand on their side of that rock, they promise not to do each other harm. If either one of them crosses over to the other side, fair game. I imagine Laban probably thought, I'm going to set up right here. He crosses over that rock, I'm killing him. You know, that's the deal I made. But this would assure two things. For Laban, one, it would save face with all those there because it would mean he took care of his daughters by saying, I can't keep an eye on you and I don't trust you, but God will keep an eye on you and trust you. But it would also give him free reign to kill Jacob if he ever came back. For Jacob, though, it procured two important things as well. His safety and the legal right now in front of everybody he had proclaimed. He could keep his family and his possessions. And so, verse 53, they swear now by God, whatever gods they had. And so here he says, the God of Abraham and the God of Nahor and the God of their father, I don't even know who that was, judge between us. And Jacob swore by the fear of his father, Isaac. So Laban swears by one God, Jacob swears by another. And, you know, it's interesting, again, Jacob just sticks to the one thing that impressed him. He doesn't know about God and gods and all this kind of stuff. All he knows is, I remember how my dad was before I I lied to him and how he was the next morning. And there was something different. And that I know is real. That's what I'm going to swear by. You know, Jacob's not in a right relationship with God just yet, but he does believe there was something real out there and he says, and my dad had it. So it tells you about the influence you can have, not necessarily by your words, but by your life on your children. So verse 54, then Jacob offered sacrifice upon the mount and he called his brethren to eat bread. And so they did eat bread and they tarried all night in the mount. And early in the morning, Laban rose up and kissed his sons and his daughters and blessed them. And Laban departed and returned unto his home. So the idea implied in the celebration is that the future deal settled everything. From this point on, their interactions had clear rules, so there's no need to worry about any future conflicts as long as they kept the rules. But you know what? It's a, it's a messy breakup, isn't it? That's not 
the way God designed family to be, where we got to put a rock between us and go, you cross over there, I'm going to kill you. That's not how God designed our families to be. But sadly, isn't it like that sometimes? You know, many of you may have experienced it personally, maybe in a broken marriage or broken parents or broken family, siblings that won't speak to you. Maybe you're not speaking to them. Maybe you've had someone close to you go through something like that. But know this, that was never God's intent. It's always the result of mankind's sin. And someday that pain that you went through in that is going to wipe away every tear. And someday the Lord's going to come back and he's going to put an end to families being torn apart. And all I can say is, Lord, come quickly. Hasten that day. Because that's the most painful thing for me to see as, as a, a pastor is just to watch a family be torn apart by the enemy. But in the meantime, I would ask you today, where is your family? Are you committed to strengthening it or are you tearing it apart in some way? I want to leave you with Proverbs chapter 6. This is what Laban and Jacob experienced brokenness. For it says a naughty person in verse 12, a wicked man walks with a froward mouth. The idea is a perverse mouth. You, you speak lies. He winks with his eyes. He speaks with his feet. He teaches with his points with his fingers. But frowardness is in his heart. And he devises mischief continually. And as a result, he sows discord. Therefore shall his calamity come suddenly. Suddenly shall he be broken without remedy. And maybe you've been lying to a spouse or to your parents or maybe to family members and it's you're thinking you got it under control and you're, it's not going to sow discord and it's not going to break things apart. But let me assure you, that's the only way that story ends unless you fix it. You say, well, how do I fix it? Philippians 2 verses 3 and 4. Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than themselves. And look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. It's a good word. Think about others not just yourself. Amen. God sees our affliction and sees our hard work. Nothing ever goes unnoticed nor unpunished. God is faithful and just. He loves you and is for you, even when you fail. But if you have questions about this or would like prayer concerning this or for anything at all, please reach out to us. You can reach us at Calvary Chapel Orlando at 407-523-0800 during our office hours, Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will, a ministry of Calvary Chapel Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word.